0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, this this morning I'll have to give you a head start to find the book So you can start now looking for the book of Nahum or the book of Nahum. I would have said it's after Micah and before Habakkuk, but that's just going to make matters worse. So I'll, I'll leave you to trust your table of contents. If you are embarrassed to use your table of contents, I pray that you're sitting next to the right person who at least knows where the book is. So this morning as not this morning, but this week, actually, as I was uh, preparing for this passage, uh, an illustration came to my mind, and it's an illustration about a relationship between a father and his child. You see, this, this father did not, did not live with his children. He did not live with this specific child, and, and but this father was known for bringing gifts. Every time he would visit his family, He brought with him gifts, or he would take the family out. He would take them to Gold Rift City. Uh, He would take them to go to the mall and have McDonald's and all sorts of delicious things. So he was known as the giver of good gifts. Now, one day there was a discipline issue, there was an issue that needed correction. This one child was found playing on the phone. He was playing on the landline, lifting up the phone bill. But mom wasn't there, but fun dad was there. How did fun dad respond? Well, he took the child, put him gently on the floor, and he tickled him. He tickled him, he tickled him, and there was laughter. The child laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed till the child was running out of breath and then he hit him. It's a weird strategy, I know. He tickled him till he was running out of breath and then discipline happened. Joy turned quickly into sorrow. But everyone was shocked. How is it that fun dad could be now the executor justice. Hey, fun dad, your job is to be dishing out ice cream, not dishing out hidings. Now, the question this morning is, is that the image that you have of God? Yes, God, I, I believe that hell exists, and therefore I believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of my soul, but do you believe that God still hates sin even though you are his child? Have, have you adopted a, a belief that, that God is merely a giver of good gifts? God is only responsible for giving blessings. God, your job is to dish out ice cream and not hidings. question this morning is, do you believe that God is a jealous God? Do you believe that God is full of might? We call him the almighty God. Do do you believe that he is full of might? Do you believe that he is full of justice? Do you believe that God is full of goodness? With these questions in your mind, I hope you found Nahum by now and we'll read the first seven verses of chapter one. An oracle concerning Nineveh the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan, Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, he knows those who take refuge in him. And so God, this morning as we have read your word, we ask and we pray that your hand of blessing would be over it. God, as I speak, I I ask for clarity of speech. I ask for boldness as I proclaim your truth. But God, I also ask for protection, protection from my own sinful heart and Lord, protection from, from, from even the evil one as I proclaim your word. My God, I pray that your spirit would, would guide and guard me as I proclaim your truth. God, guard my mind to not say anything that is not true of you. But my God, I also ask for softened hearts here this morning. Those who receive your word, I pray that they would receive it with gladness, but also receive it, Lord, ready to examine hearts. Is there sin that is hidden in my heart? Is there a false notion of God that I have adopted and believe? God, I ask that, Lord, this morning you'd help them to reflect. Lord, may we leave this place saying, this is our God and this is the God we believe in. Lord, open our eyes through your word, by your spirit we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this book, the book of Nahum, was, was written specifically to the Ninevites, It was a book written concerning the judgment of Nineveh. Now, immediately when you hear of Nineveh, it should trigger your Sunday school mind to think of a specific prophet who was swallowed by a... No, a big fish. Jonah. Jonah was on the run... Because he believed that the Ninevites were a people who were not deserving of the mercy and grace of God. But God miraculously shakes up the prophet. He tosses the prophet onto the mission field. And Nineveh breaks out into revival to the glory of God. Amen. But then what happened? Revival broke out. The prophet was there, the people believed, the people repented, but what happened? Now, why do we have a book that is written specifically about the judgment of this nation? You see, they reverted back to their sinful ways. Nineveh reverted back to worshiping idols fashioned by human hands. They they turned their backs on the one true God. In fact, they were worse than they were when Jonah refused to go preach the gospel to them. Friends, the Bible teaches us that as a nation believes, so, it, so goes its morals. And so, because there was idolatry, because there was false doctrine, because there was an ignorance of God, there were all sorts of debauchery that was found in Nineveh. Have you forgotten God. Have you adopted a watered-down view of God, A, a God who tolerates sin, a God who allows for your happiness at the expense of your holiness? Friends, that's not the God of the Bible. In fact, that is only an idol that you have fashioned, not with your human hands, but that is an idol that you have fashioned with your mind. And so the question today is, who is God? Here, O oh Israel, here Central Baptist Church in Acadia, Pretoria. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Church, the Lord demands of our worship. His, his demand for worship is not reserved only for those who believe. God demands worship from all of his creation. And so all who don't worship him are living in rebellion to him. You see, the nation of Nineveh was so consumed by sin that they did not know God. You'll notice that this is a book that is written about the nation's judgment, but but the prophet seems to want to start by reintroducing this nation to God. Why? They were once repentant, but now they did not know God the reverence, the awe, the intimacy, the knowledge of God was gone. They were a nation in rebellion. In chapter three of this book, it it reads in chapter three, verse one, woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey, the crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horses, bounding chariot, Horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. This is a city that rebelled against God. Verse 4, and all of the countless whoring of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nation with her whoring and peoples with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face. I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. All who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for her? Things were bad. They had neglected God. They had no respect for his person. They had no respect for the ways of God. Church sin has that effect. Sin forces us to redefine who God is. It it waters down your fear for him. We then worship a false god made in the image of our own minds. And then we become idolatrous. And so our actions become increasingly sinful. Compromise then defines us because we don't know God. And we now believe that God will not punish sin Just the book of Nahum in many ways was a goodbye letter to the nation. Judgment was final. God was not going to relent on judgment that he was sending to this nation. It is a written down account of how God is going to destroy this once dominant, this once prestigious nation will be brought to nothing by the Lord Almighty. So again, who is God? Well, church, this morning the reminder is, this is God. And firstly, the Lord is a jealous God. Who is God? He is a jealous God. We see this in verse 2a. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. You'll remember in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The Lord was rightfully jealous over the nation. He was rightfully jealous because Nineveh was taking what belongs to him and was giving it to another. They were ascribing deity, they were giving worship, they were giving service to created things and not the Creator. They were taking things that were His and worshiping them over Him. Church, we are created beings. We were created to worship God. We were created with a purpose. God has every right to expect worship from you and from me, church. God is not jealous of you. God is jealous for you. He desires that worship be given to him and to him alone. Church, this is mankind's chief end. The chief end of, of our existence is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But because of sin, we have given His glory to another. We have looked for sustenance in broken systems which can hold no water. And so we find ourselves broken. We find ourselves depressed. We find ourselves despondent and, and wonder, where is God? But we're not worshiping the one true God anymore. Church, God is God. A simple statement and yet a profound one. If you forget everything that I've said here this morning, in fact, you can sleep after this point, God is God. <laughs> Church, He is God and he's jealous for His own glory. God will not share His glory with another. He's jealous for His own honor. He's jealous for His own praise. He demands your worship. And that's why He commanded the nation Israel. He said, when you go into Canaan, you must tear down all the altars of the pagan gods. He instructed them saying, for you shall worship no other God for the Lord, listen to this, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. A preacher noted that God is also jealous for his love. Jealousy really only belongs to those who love. A husband and a wife, jealousy is possible. A girlfriend and a boyfriend, jealousy is possible. Jealousy fits into a love relationship. And so it does with God. God is jealous because he loves. Just God is grieved when we rebel against him. The heart of God aches when His children play the whole. We are the crown of His creation. We could enjoy intimate fellowship with God. We could enjoy the intentional love of God. We could meet God and walk with Him in the cool of the day. But we chose self. We chose to be our own gods. We chose to define morality, what is right and wrong. We chose to rebel and so sin exists and sin co- and death comes because sin exists. Friends, this is exactly what God will not tolerate. And that's the second point. Consider verses 2b till verse six. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. My second point is the Lord is a God of justice and power. He's a God of justice and power. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, amen? There are two things that I want us to learn from, from God's interaction with Nineveh. We have two accounts. We have the account of Jonah and we have the account of Nahum. What can we learn from the account of Jonah? Jonah chapter 3, verse 6 says this. The word reaching the king, the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither men nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented on the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So the first thing we learn from God's interaction to the nation, to, to the nation of, of Nineveh is that God shows mercy, God shows grace when there's genuine repentance. Friends, it is a repentant heart, that that heart that agrees with God and calls sin, sin and not a mistake. That heart that pleads for forgiveness from God, a repentant heart that finds faith in Jesus Christ, it is that heart that will be spared. Nineveh was spared in Jonah because they repented. But the second thing we can learn from God's interactions with Nineveh from the book of Nahum is that God's patience will come to an end. God's patience will come to an end. God this time was judging the nation because their hearts were no longer repentant, which led to their rebellion. Church, the long suffering of the Lord wore out. His season of patience had come to an end. He was now going to execute justice. The patience of God is to allow for repentance, but then then when, when patience runs out, it gives way to vengeance and wrath. I think sometimes unfortunately we are like this. We are like the psalmist Asaph. We wouldn't admit it out loud, but I think sometimes we are like Asaph in Psalm 73. Sometimes we look at the wicked in envy. We see them prosper and we question God. Is judgment real? The wicked are getting rich and richer. The wicked seem happier than I am. The sin, that sin that I'm fighting so hard not to commit, they are doing it and I'm mind (laughs) by happy. This could be us. The same wicked even start to mock you and they call you a pastor for not joining them in sin. Ah, pastor, come on. They ridicule you for, for preserving yourself from sin and sometimes, maybe sometimes, the thought comes to your mind, will God really punish sin? They're getting away with it. Will God really bring about judgment or am I just punishing myself? Or am I keeping myself from all these pleasures in vain? Friends, listen to the words of Nahum. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. I love the phrase that one of the preachers said. It says, God is a God of inflexible justice. God is not like our South African government which lets corruption slide. God is not like SAPS which lets a a, a docket disappear at the right price. God is not like the traffic officer who's always thirsty for a cool drink. There is no escape for the sinner at the hands of our just God. God is a just God. God is a God who will bring rebellion. He will bring lawlessness. He will bring immorality, friends. He will bring sin to the book. Repent. What we learn from this book is God keeps wrath for his enemies. Let that sink in. The holy, transcendent, immortal, omnipotent God stores up his wrath for the wicked. Vengeance is being reserved for all unbelieving and despisers of God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, but by the same word, The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Church, don't confuse the patience of God with incapability. Because God is slow to anger, it does not mean that he is incapable to execute justice. God stays his anger in mercy. Maybe you have responded to God's patience like this author suggests. Maybe there's been a point in your life where you have said these very same words. The author says this, we are indeed cruelly harassed by our enemies, but who can think that God cares anything for our miseries since he allows them so long to be unavenged? Maybe you, and you've been wronged. Maybe you sit here and you feel, maybe God does not care. Maybe God will not execute justice. God will not do anything because you are harassed day and night without rest. You watch the news and you wonder, where is God with all this power that I keep hearing about? You listen to stories of GBV. You watch the crime stats and you wonder, where is this just judge? Friends, three times Nahum says that our Lord is an avenging God and the Lord is wrathful. Church, I want to encourage you to find solace in that all sin will be punished. Either it will be punished in Jesus or it will be punished in hell. But rest assured that all sin will be punished by the God of inflexible judgment. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Church, God is great in power. This is God. Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. I want to encourage us here this morning to, like the psalmist, have a high view of God. Toza reminded us that our view of God is vitally important to our character. Our very lives and character center on how we view God. If we see God as weak, if we see him as passive and unnecessary, our lives will reflect this. We will not trust or rely on Him and will likely fall into sin, seeing no need for God. On the flip side, if we see God as powerful, active, life-sustaining being, we will cling to Him and praise Him as our Savior. Church, God is not a Disney character that we continue to create in our imaginations. God is not dependent on us. He does not need you. He does not need me. God is self-sufficient. He is the great I am. Church, God is not activated by our money like a vending machine. It's not your money to begin with. He gave it to you. He is not activated by your money to act like a game at the arcade. My aim here this morning is to remind us that God is God. He is majestic and He is full of might. The author of the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, he got the idea. He says in one of his verses that God is unresting, unhasting and silent as light. No wanting, no wasting, thou rulest in might. Your justice like mountains, high soaring above. Your clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. Church, God is God. He is far greater than Ibrahim Traore from Burkina Faso. He is far greater than local Cyril Ramaphosa. He is far greater than General Bryce from Gabon. He is far greater than Emerson Mnangangwa. He is far greater than the leaders of the known world powers, Vladimir Putin, Biden, Kim Jong-un, and Jinping. All these powers will one day bow before almighty God. He rules with justice. God is God. He is the God of the living and not of the dead. Church, God is at work. He will judge the nations in power. Nahum continues and says, his way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it cry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan, Kamel, wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger his wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him Just this is where omnipotent the omnipotence and the justice of God meet the power of God displayed in his wrath This is a dreadful thing Hurricane Lee which is currently moving at 185 kilometers an hour can simply be hushed by the sound of God's voice. The clouds in the sky are like dust, not even like the sand in the sea. They are like dust between the toes of Almighty God. God has such control and power that he rebukes the sea and he can dry up rivers. We saw it happen with the Red Sea and with the Jordan. We then see Bashan, Kamil, and Lebanon. These were names associated with with the suburbs of the ancient times. People would love to live there because this was the most fertile areas. And why are these places mentioned? Because even your money cannot protect you from the judgment of God. There is no place on the corner of this earth that will keep you from the judgment of God. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves before him. Everest, Kilimanjaro, Table Mountain, shake at the sight of the wrath of God. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? The answer is no one. No one can stand against the uncompromising justice and power of God. Our God is a consuming fire. God is like nothing we've ever seen before. God is really other than. Who commands all the hosts of heaven? Who could make every key king bow down who can whisper and darkness trembles only a holy god church god will send judgment when repentance is absent the unrepentant and at heart are irreconcilable to god without jesus you are guilty before god You will stand in heaven's courtroom and you will give an account before God of all the evil deeds that you have done. Friend, you have no chance without Jesus. So, this morning, I want to encourage us to once again fear God. I want to encourage us to once again live in awe of God, to once again see God as awesome, to once again live in the reality of who He has revealed Himself to be, not the figment of my imagination. Friends, this is God. He is a jealous God. The Lord is the God of vengeance. The Lord is the God of wrath. And the Lord is a God of justice. But finally, we see in verse 7, the Lord is immeasurably gracious. The Lord is immeasurably gracious. Verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Just the Lord is jealous, avenging, wrathful, and just. And he is also good at the same time. Though our God is armed with vengeance against his enemies, yet he does not cease to be like himself. He never forgets that he is also a good God. Friend's God does not switch off goodness and wrath. He is both at the same time perfectly. And so yes, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, but it's also a joyful and peaceful thing to fall into the hands of a good and gracious God. Who are those who know the goodness of God? Who are those who have him as a stronghold? Who are those who have him as their refuge friends? It is those who have repented of their sins and have their faith in the one true God. God is always ready to help his people. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to come back to God. He is always ready to help in your time of distress. In the day of trouble, the Lord is always ready to help. The faithful of God must never think that they will be rejected by him. And so Nahum writes that God knows those who hope in him. He knows those who take refuge in him. Church, he knows them intimately because he watches over them. He takes care of their safety. The Lord in his providence is preserving the faithful. And so church, as I close, God will avenge all sin. Any sin committed against you, any sin committed by you, any sin committed around you, God will avenge it for his name's sake. So the encouragement this morning is return to an undivided worship of God. Our God is a jealous God and he wants all of you He doesn't want to share you with your flesh. He doesn't want to share you with your ambitions. He doesn't want to share you with things that he created. He wants you for himself. He doesn't want to even share you with Satan. He wants you for himself. And so church, this is God. He's a jealous God. He's a God of vengeance. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. But our God is good. Come back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this sanctuary is filled with with people who are in different places in their walk with you. There are some who are as it were riding the crest of the wave. But there are others who are feeling like they are in the valley of despondency and you are distant and nowhere to be seen. My God, this morning I pray that you would remind them that you are God. That you are a jealous God and you desire all of them. I pray that all of us here this morning would once again go back to how you have described and defined yourself to us and may we cling to that. May we not define or create new ideas of who God is. You've given us your word for that. You've given us your spirit to lead us in that. So God, may we worship the one true God. Behold, O Central Baptist Church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So worship him as thus. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.